churches and different places and uh, you know sometimes I go to pastors meetings and one of the things they talk about is what's your vision what's your mission and there can be pressure to come up with mission statements and vision statements all this stuff and I just simply go back to Matthew 28 and say well the church isn't mine it's God's and uh, he came up with a vision 2,000 years ago and he said go into all the world reflect the heart of the father to the world around us that vision hasn't changed if it does Jesus will change it but right now that's our job that's what we're called to do that is to go into all the world and make disciples how we do that will change it changes with time uh, I think the church generally is a pretty slow mover. I, would, uh, I don't know if anyone else agrees with me, but we're generally pretty slow, aren't we, at moving forward? You know, we're, The world around us is changing rapidly, and, and the way that we're going to reach those people, the needs of our societies are changing, changing, yet it's funny, the church, sort of, we sort of do things the same way we've done it for thousands of years. Uh, and I think we need to realise that the message we have is sacred. The message can't change, but the methods we use to get that message out, those methods have got to change. And they've got to keep up with society and keep up with the needs of the world around us and so on. I've been in here pretty hardcore for the last few weeks, uh, doing a lot of work and coming up here about 8 o'clock in the morning, getting home around the same time at night. And uh, if you see any mistakes in the painting, don't you dare point them out to me, all right? Because before I started this, see, me and Jackie, we've never owned a home or I've never even built a shed. Uh, my dad did. He's very handy. He did all that stuff. I didn't. But uh, when we got, the, uh, the, you know, we got in here and uh, painting needed to be done, so I thought, well, I can paint. It's not that, you know, because I've always thought one day when I get my own home, you know what I'm looking forward to doing is painting it. For some reason, I had this romantic notion that painting was fun. Uh, and, oh, well, I'll tell you what, it's been shattered since then. So I came in here and I'm painting away. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, I looked around, to be honest, I thought, oh, I'll have this whole thing done in two days. <laughs> I didn't realise, what, you've got an undercoat? What do you mean? Can't you just paint over something? You've got to sand it back? You're kidding, aren't you? And then you've got to do two coats, three coats. What? No, you've got to get different paint for doors. What do you, you've got to take the handles off the paint. Can't I just paint around? Or It was just ridiculous. But I learned a lot of things about painting, and probably the, the biggest thing I learned was I don't want to paint my house. So if we do buy a house, think about the colour, because whatever it is, it's stained. I'm not touching a paintbrush again. I was waking up in the middle of the night. I'm sure it was a vision of God with a finger pointing at me, going, repaint, repaint. And I was like, no, no, I won't, you know. Uh, repaint and sin no more. I won't be doing that. Um, but while I've been up here this week, I have had a thought running through my head. And I just want to present this thought to you this morning. In Acts chapter 17, I knew exactly where it was, but I couldn't get the phrase out of my head this morning. And while I was painting, it started about Wednesday this week, and I just felt like the impression and the voice got louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. And I kept hearing this phrase in my head, the unknown God, the unknown God, the unknown God. And I would paint and I would think, the unknown God. I know, I know the story. I know where it is in Acts chapter 17 where Paul goes to Athens. And when he walked into Athens, he noticed they had idols everywhere. Athens was an extremely spiritual city back in, in biblical times. Uh, there were more idols in Athens than any other city on, on, in, on earth back in the day. Every street corner, every place that you went would have idols of this God, that God, this God. Matter of fact, there was a saying, an ancient saying in Athens that it was easier to find a God than it was to find a person. So if you went to Athens looking for a person, they said you'll have more hope finding Zeus or Hermes or whoever it was than you will finding that person. It's not like it's a bit like, I guess, trying to find John Smith in an Australian phone book right now. You know, there's hundreds of them. Uh, but if you wanted to find a person, they said that there were more gods. There were more idols and so on, literally almost, than people. In Athens, the, the, the Athenians, I think they had something like around 30,000 different gods represented in their city. Uh, so Paul, the story goes in Acts 17, goes to Athens and he's walking around the city. 
And he notices all these idols everywhere. And they've got their names and so on and who they are and who they're representing and what the God is for. And in Athens, there actually wasn't just the one. There were several of these idols. And underneath it was inscribed to the unknown God. To the unknown God. Now, there's a bit of history as to how they came up with this God. 600 years previously, a plague came through the city of Athens in Greece. And this plague was wiping out people left, right and centre, just killing people. And they prayed to all their gods and tried to appease all the gods they knew and nothing would change. All the gods that they had access to, none of them could stop this plague. And so a man, I can't remember his name, travelled in from another town and he said, here's what we'll do. Let's get a a whole bunch of, of sheep in here. And I think they were sheep or lambs. And we'll let them walk around the city. And we will pray to this God. And wherever a sheep drops, we will know that that's the sacred space that this unknown God wants. And so any time a sheep would sit down or lay down, they would say, well, God wants that. Which God? Well, it wasn't at the foot of an idol. It was in an open space. So it's to an unknown God. There was an unknown God. So they would sacrifice that, that uh, sheep, that lamb. And they would erect a little statue to the unknown God. And all week this week, I've had this phrase running through my head for about Wednesday on. The unknown God, the unknown God, the unknown God. And you know what I came to realise? I came to realise that I was actually working on a monument to an unknown God. This building is a monument to an unknown God. Not to you and me. We're sitting in here because hopefully we've had an encounter with God. Hopefully we've given our hearts to Christ. We understand. We're not trying to work our way into heaven anymore. Who's trying to work their way to heaven in this place? I hope nobody is. Because there's nothing you can do to get there. If you could work your way up to heaven, Jesus would never have come down. It's the grace and the mercy of God to us. We can't reach God. We can't reach up tall enough and high enough. We're never going to be good enough, perfect enough, or holy enough. And so the whole story of Jesus is God's grace and mercy when he came down to us and lived among us. And God understands the temptations we go through. He understands our humanity. He understands that we are not perfect. Okay? He understands that we make mistakes. That's why Jesus came, the final lamb sacrifice, so that we could have grace, so that we could be forgiven for the things we've done, the things we'll do, and so on. We don't have to try to earn our way back into the favour and the love of God. That's what the story of Jesus is all about. We understand that sitting in this building. But how many of you know that outside this building there are millions and millions and millions of people who don't understand that? What do you think they think about when they walk past your church? When we put a rise up on the building or you go downtown and you see Centre Church or all these church names, what do you think people that have no context of God, people that have no background in our faith, no understanding of the Father's heart for them, what do you think they think of when they walk past a religious building? It's a monument to an unknown God. We don't know what goes on in there because we don't go in there. We don't understand, we don't believe what they believe, primarily because we haven't heard probably what they've heard. It's amazing the concepts that people have of who God is. It's amazing the weird ideas that people have of God. And we are in here in what I consider to be a monument to an unknown God. It's a monument to an unknown God. But here's the thing, it's a monument nonetheless. You see, Paul walked into Athens and he saw this statue with the inscription to the unknown God. And then the Bible tells us that he gathered around him a bunch of philosophers and people and from that point he began to preach a message to them and to tell them about this unknown God that they were worshipping. You know, we live in a really spiritual society right now. Very spiritual world in which we find ourselves smack bang in the middle of, especially this region. There's a lot of spiritual ideologies and thoughts and stuff out there. I was looking at the 2016 was the last census I could find in Australia. 
And I think uh, 22% of people ticked um, no religion on the box of what religion you are. 22% ticked no religion. I thought, wow, that's, that's increased. I think the previous census was about 16%. Went up by about six percentage points in Australia. But the Christian religion, the people who ticked Christian was still something like 53 55%. So the majority of our country still consider themselves to be Christian. They would say, I am of the Christian faith. But I would imagine that a majority of our country say that they adhere to the Christian faith. But I'll tell you right now, a majority of our country are not worshipping Jesus this morning. Because we have weird concepts and ideas. We don't fully understand the message of the cross. They don't fully understand it. They walk past this building and they go, that's a, a religious place. That's where people meet on a Sunday. People sing songs. They get happy clappy. They give money to these religious organisations and then they go home and then what? Then what? They don't make the connection. It's a monument to an unknown God. But it's important that every city has monuments to an unknown God. Because Paul then went on and from that place began to explain to them the reality of God. And it's funny, in my time uh, uh, with YWAM and with the church and over my years of walking with God, the amount of people I've had conversations with who just have the wildest concepts of Christianity and God, they just have no idea. And we take it for granted that people understand things that we understand. A lot of people don't, you know. Um, I remember years ago, I may have shared this with some of you, I went to a, a football match. I, me and Jackie were living in India at the time. We'd just come back from India. And we went to a football match in, uh, in uh, Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane because my wife had never been to an international sporting event. I couldn't believe that. If I knew that before we were married, I, she didn't tell me till after, you right? But I thought, okay, I know, I'll take it to an international rugby league match, Australia versus Great Britain. So we went to Suncorp Stadium. We got in there. The stadium was packed. It was chockers. And, uh, you know, one thing I did learn out of that, just a bit of a side issue, if I was English, I would never want to play football for Great Britain. They were going so terrible. They were getting flogged. I mean, the Australians beat just about most nations in sport anyway. But they were, this was a creaming. We were killing them. And uh, there was a whole, basically one quarter of the stadium were tourists who had come on a tour, a Great Britain tour of Australia. Imagine sitting there, you've poured all that, you, you've raised all this money, you've paid, taken time off work, bought you, you've, you're on the other side of the world, you're watching your team, you're there to support them, and to a man, everybody started chanting, we're crap and we know we are, we're crap and we know we are, we're the whole stadium, all these British... And I'm thinking, what are the players feeling like? I'm out here representing my country. My countrymen came across the oceans to tell me I'm hopeless. It's terrible. But apart from that, I digress. Back to what I was talking about. And we sat down in the stadium and we sat down next to these two people. One guy was drunk off his nut. He was just completely gone. And Jackie was a bit uncomfortable. Her seat number was next to him. So I said to Jackie, look, let's swap. I'll sit next to him and you sit over here, being the gentleman that I am. And the guy that was drunk, he was just really wild. And his brother was sitting next to him, and he wasn't, he wasn't tanked at all, so he, he did the right thing. And he was a gentleman too. He swapped with his brother. So I'm sitting next to this guy. And as tends to happen in these situations, this man begins to speak to me. We begin to talk. He gets onto the subject of, so what do you do? You know, I, I don't say, well, I'm a missionary. What does that mean to people who, 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 who have, worship the unknown God? What does it mean? It means nothing, you know? So I tried to explain in simple terms. Well, I work with an organisation and we've been overseas in India. And anyway, it eventually came out that it's a Christian organisation, that I'm a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus. This man then turns to me and he goes, I want to tell you a story. He said, when I was a kid, I was brought up in an orphanage. Mum and Dad didn't want me. They dropped me at an orphanage and I was raised by uh, these nuns in an orphanage. 
I used to wet my bed at 10 years of age. When I'd wet my bed, one of the nuns would come on in with a really big stick and she would beat me for wetting my bed with a stick. And then he stopped and he looked at me. You know what he was saying to me? He was saying to me, God beats 10-year-old kids with a big stick when they wet their bed. That's what he thought. That's his picture of God. I had nothing in that moment other than to look him in the eye and say, can I just leave you with a thought? When that lady was beating you with a stick, God himself was sitting on the end of your bed weeping because God does not beat 10-year-old kids with a stick when they wet their bed. He just stared blankly at me for about 10 seconds. I stared at him and we both went back to the football and I've never spoken to that man again. But I hope that that little seed thought about this unknown God changes a little bit of his perspective. And I pray and I hope that somewhere down the track somebody else can come along and can just drop another seed and just change his perspective a little bit more and change it a little bit more. I was on a plane once flying up to Townsville. I was going up there to, to, to speak at an event up there. And I got on the plane and I'm not one of these. You know, you, you ever see these evangelists on TV and they make it sound like every time they sit on a plane they lead somebody to faith and every time they have a conversation people get healed and delivered. It just, it just doesn't happen to me. Matter of fact, when I get on a plane, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to, I hate flying, so I just want to go to sleep. And if I'm not asleep and you sit near me, I'll pretend I'm asleep. I just don't want to talk. Selfish man. But I sat on this plane this time and I just happened to get these two girls sitting next to me. They were about 18 years of age and they were all bubbly and like this. And I'm just sitting there kind of thinking, you know, I just, if I pretend I'm asleep. Hey, how are you, mister? What are you up to? And they want to have this chat. What are you doing? You're going to Townsville? Is that home or are you coming back? I was flying Brisbane, Townsville. I said, no, well, actually, I'm going up to Townsville. Um, and uh, what about you guys? And they said, no, no, we're going back to Townsville. We've been in Brisbane. I said, oh, having a bit of a holiday. What have you been doing? They said, no, we went and saw a rock band. I said, oh, yeah, what band was it? Because I'm pretty clearly with music, you know, I'm, I'm pretty cool. So what was the band? And they said, oh, they're called Huberstank. Anyone ever heard of a band called Huberstank? What a stupid name. Who thought that name up? It sounds like a smelly vacuum cleaner. A Huberstank, you know? You should go to the doctor and get a shot for it. Anyway, it's this band called Huberstank, and they're just coming back from Brisbane. They're talking up the concert, and they're loving this band, and how great they are. And I'm like, tell me a song. And they're trying to tell me songs, and I'm like, I don't know anything at all. And then they turn to me, and they go, so what do you do? And I thought, okay, here we go. This is the best way to shut down a conversation. I'll tell them I'm a pastor. Nobody wants to talk to you when you're a pastor. So I said, righty, I'm a pastor, thinking that'll be the end of it. I can go to sleep, and I'll turn the other way and look out the window. They looked at me, went, looked me up and down. Now, a couple of weeks before that, uh, the church we were a part of, we were raising money to send some young kids to a youth camp. We had a bunch of kids that wanted to go to this camp in Sydney, but they all came from families and backgrounds where their money was not going to come in. So I said to the church, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I will wax my leg. This was a church of probably had over 200 people at the time. I said, I'll wax my leg in front of the whole church if you can raise the money needed for these guys. Well, only, it was like waving a red flag to a bull. A bunch of the ladies in the church went, bang, I reckon within 30 minutes they'd raised the money. It was amazing. <laughs> money is there. So, you know, money's floating around. Oh, I've got no money. 30 minutes, bang, there was thousands of dollars. Why? Just to see me rip some hair off my leg. So the following Sunday I got there at church and they put my leg out and someone waxed it up and whack. I cannot believe you ladies even do that. That is one of the most painful things. Any man ever done that? You should, just to know what it's like. You know, they're strong, these ladies. Give birth, they wax their legs. It's amazing. All the things, I, I wouldn't do it. But um, anyway, so I'd done that and there was leftover money. And these ladies had been on me all the time because I'm, I'm generally a dag. I'm not a great dresser and I don't look real, you know. But, you know, they, they'd said to me, you should um, colour your hair. What, what do you call them? Where you put foils. Anyone ever had foils in their hair? 
Look, you don't take this outside and you cut the recording, Luke. This goes nowhere. I'm bearing my heart to you guys. Anyway, so just because they had us leftover money and they said, oh, look, we wanna, we've been saying ages you've got to cool yourself up a bit, you know. I thought, okay, right, yeah. So anyway, so they, they did my hair. So I, was, I mean, I looked, I looked hot, I must admit. I looked good. I looked really good. You know, I don't want to brag or anything, but I was hot. And so I'm sitting on the plane. Of course, I'm dressed in my nice, you know, I've got nice cool jeans. I look cool. I've got cool hair and everything. And when I turned to these girls and I said, I'm a pastor, they looked at me and went, whoa, you're the funkiest pastor I've ever seen. And I went, yeah, of course I am. And then they came alive and they wanted to tell me about their experience with God, their experience with the church, all this kind of stuff. And it turns out that they used to go to church. They said, we were brought up in the church. But, you know, we'd go to church every Sunday morning and we would sit there and we'd be told what to say and we would be told when to be quiet. And the guy would get up and preach and there was no animation. He was just deadpan. He would just read out of a book, say a few things, and then we'd close and then we'd... And they just said it was boring. And as we grew up, as soon as we got to the point where mum and dad said, you don't have to go anymore, we said, we're not going. And they said, that's church to us. What's your church like? I said, no way. I said, man, I can't, I can't help myself. When I talk, I get excited. If I talk about the West Tigers, I'm going to get passionate. I'm going to get excited. I'm going to get pumped up, you know, because I love the West Tigers. Best rugby league team in the world, well, in my opinion. Better than the Sharks. When I talk about Jesus, guess what? At 19 years of age, Jesus changed my life. He changed my life. I had no background in God, no background in church, no background in the Bible. There was no Bibles in my house. I never went to Sunday school. 19 years of age, Jesus met me and changed my life. I can't help but be passionate. I said, when, I, when, when someone gets up and talks at church about Jesus, there's got to be some passion in life there. You know? So I said, I don't know. I, I, I can't relate to your experience in church because the church I come from, we're excited about God. And I don't know about the organ playing stuff because the church I go to, which was, you know, we had a few more musicians than we got here at the moment, we had electric guitars and keyboards and our musicians played church on Sunday and they were playing the pubs on Friday and Saturday night. I mean, we had, it was rocking, lights, all that kind of stuff. The kids came, they flocked there on a Friday night and they loved it. And these girls are sitting there and in the end of the conversation, one of the girls said, do you really think there might be a church like that in Townsville? I said, I'll guarantee you I will guarantee you 100% that there's a church like that in your town. You've just got to go and find it. And they stabbed me at the end of the conversation. They said, you know what? When we get off this plane and go home, we're going to go and we're going to find that church you're talking about. We're going to go to that church. I thought, praise God. And I, I don't know what they're doing today, but I hope that they're sitting in a church somewhere worshipping God. This is a monument to an unknown God. That's what it is to the society outside of us. I love what Paul says when he gets their attention, Acts 17. I'll just quickly read through. In verse 16 it says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. He was provoked. Something inside of him got agitated. He got agitated because he looked at all these false images of God and he went, Zeus is not God. Hermes is not God. That statue of an elephant with seven eyes, that's not God. That statue of a crab with a claw out, it's, it's not God. It's not God. And he was provoked on the inside. And he begins to explain to them that unknown God, I want to tell you who God really is. I want to reshape your image and your perspective of who God is. Because what you have there is a monument to an unknown God. I want to make known to you that unknown God. And he goes on and he explains to them. But here's what I want to leave you with. Verse 23. For as I was passing through 
And considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, watch this, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. This is a monument to an unknown God. The Spirit of God does not live in this place. Why would he do that? Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells me the temple veil was torn in two. There was a place called the Holy of Holies. The presence of God was there. People had to travel to get to the presence of God. And only certain people could even go inside that temple, inside that curtain. 2,000 years ago, it was torn open, meaning everybody, plebs like you and me, have now got access to the very presence of God. The very presence of God does not dwell in temples or buildings. It lives in you and me. It lives in you and me. And there's a world out there that looks at this place as a monument to an unknown God. And it's you and me that have the job of walking outside the walls of this building and reflecting to them who that unknown God is. As Paul said, he's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the lover of your soul. He's the one that places so much value on you that he died for you. He's the one that is so committed to you that while you were still sinning, when you had no interest in him whatsoever, when you were as far away from loving him or caring about him as a human being could possibly be, he did the greatest, most monumental thing he could do to show his love for you. He gave you the highest when humanity was at its lowest. That's what he did. And the Spirit of God dwells in us so that we can take that message out there to the world. We've achieved something wonderful in getting in this building. And like I said, we've got a few things to do. You know, a carpet to put down. I want to knock a door in that wall so with kids' church, they can go in and out to that next room and have to walk outside if it's raining. There's a few things we want to do. But at the end of the day, it's a monument to an unknown God. It's a monument to an unknown God. But the monument exists for a reason. So that those who are inside the monument will go out there into all the world and make known to the world around us that there is a loving, good, good Father. Amen. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. And again, we thank you for this space, Lord. We are standing literally in the middle of a miracle. God, the story of how we got here is just phenomenal. I still struggle to get my head around the fact that you were here, God. You were on this space years before Arise was even a thought in anybody's mind. And Father, I just pray for each person in this room, God. I pray, Lord, that we would realise that we are carriers of the Spirit of God. But Lord, you don't dwell in this space. You don't live here, Father. We bring you into this place when we come. Not only do we bring you into this building when we come, but Father, we take you back out when we leave. We take you back out when we leave. And we thank you for that awesome privilege, God. Lord, I pray over the next week that you would give us opportunity to share Jesus with somebody that does not know who you are, whether that be through our words, through our actions. God, give us the opportunity just to change somebody's thinking, even if it's just one degree, about who you are, your character, your nature, and how much you love us and how much you are for us and you're not against us, God. You're not an angry God waiting to punish us. Father, we don't have to work our way into your favour. We just need to believe in faith, accept. Make the choice to follow after you. Thank you, Lord.
In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. And God, air conditioning, because I'm getting hot. I'm getting hot. Well, thank you for coming along this morning. Some of you have come from other churches. Thank you so much for coming and uh, uh, joining us for our first service. We've got a barbecue that we're going to crank up now. Some soft drinks there. There's morning tea here, tea and coffee. Please, you don't have to run off. Please don't feel like you've got to run off and leave. We want to feed you. So if you can hang around, that'll be great. Uh, Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll catch up with you next week or sometime during the week in different places. Amen.